Today, we're continuing in a series, Nick and Daniel have taught, I've done a few myself, and we're looking at questions that Jesus asked. He asked a ton, depending on how you systemized it. He asked a couple hundred or more questions in the New Testament. Now, why would Jesus ask a question? I asked you that question in week one. You and I ask questions, we ought to ask more questions. And what I've learned through the years, I'm still learning, I need to ask a question and then listen. I need to ask questions so that I can learn. And can I say that I've learned through a variety of sources. I've got a birthday coming up in October. It's a birthday that ends in zero. And it's October 23rd. I don't know how many shopping days. Figure that out, somebody on the calculator. But that, the birthday, of Susan pointed out to me a few weeks ago, it falls on a Sunday. So I'm just wondering, should I be here or somewhere exotic, right? But I've learned a lot through these decades of living. And you know what I've learned? I can learn from a variety of sources and that God wants me to learn from a variety of sources, to be open and to be teachable. It's one of the traits that I've been growing in slowly, but I'm growing. And I've learned through the years that I can, I can learn from very religious people who carry large Bibles, who have their names engraved on the front covers. I can learn from really educated people who have PhDs, who have technical expertise in areas where they go to work and do something. I have no idea what they do all day. I can learn from those people as well. And here's what I believe that I've learned. I believe that there's a world that is seen and unseen, natural and supernatural. I believe in science, that we can stand over and study life. It can be analyzed and evaluated and explained, but I believe there are realities that can be known and felt and experienced that aren't tangible, located in a physical space. I believe that we need biology, but we also need poetry. I believe we need science, but we also need songs. I love the uh, writer who said that science can tell us why we don't have a tail, but it can't tell us why we find that interesting. I believe in scientific knowledge and rational thought, but I believe in what is instinctive and intuitive. A few weeks ago on a patch of real estate, a beautiful patch of real estate, I felt like the Lord was telling me to get away, to get away from everything and, and getting away, to not just physically get away, but to emotionally and mentally get away. In other words, just forget about all y'all. That's hard. And just think of God. And I found myself in Job chapter seven, I found myself worshiping and meditating, and it was, by the way, Earth Day, and I ran into this passage in Job which says, Look at the earth, look at the animals, and learn from them. And this natural, this interplay between what is natural and supernatural is really a beautiful thing. I was studying on that uh, this week. Do you know that uh, pigeons, the homing pigeon, is so sophisticated in their navigational skills, they can go someplace, fly someplace, and come back, and they've been used through history in military from the ancient Roman days and Genghis Khan. There's a certain kind of beetle, I'll just say it even though it's church, it's the dung beetle. And the dung beetle, will, they will get on top of the mountain there, the little mountain, they'll look up at the sky and they'll navigate their path via the Milky Way. Do you know salmon have a sophisticated magnetic waves system in which they travel and they'll leave the ocean and they'll go to an exact spot in a precise river and travel back again. The gray whale will leave its home and travel thousands of miles to Cabo, which we ought to do, right? Travel to Cabo, shout out to the gray whale, and it'll give birth to its young and it will care for them 
And what are the odds that it would find its way all the way back to its home in Alaska? What are the odds? But she does. And I believe that God has created in man, in you and I, a homing instinct, a sense of, yes, the natural, but the supernatural, yes, the scientific and the rational, but the intuitive and the instinctive. Something whispers inside of you, church, that says we're not home. There's more than what we see. Bear all these thoughts in mind as we look at this passage that could be a little spooky, Mark chapter five. And we're gonna, thank you, Paul. Paul's on security detail and in charge of the old man's glasses. Appreciate that. Mark chapter five, you turn there, are you there? We're gonna read a pretty substantive set of section of scripture here, so let's uh, hunker down. Are you ready? She's ready, he's ready. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. For he had been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And here's our Jesus question in our sermon series. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbered about 2,000. They rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one whom had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. I love this. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened in the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region, from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with them. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. It's easy to roll your eyes, isn't it? It's easy to roll your eyes and maybe dismiss this. And I know probably a couple of you are are thinking today, although I'm not seeing faces like I normally do, not as well as I normally do with that, the rain and the lack of sunlight pouring through these beautiful stained glass windows. But some of you are probably thinking, oh great, Robert Green, I bring a guest today and you're going to Mark chapter five. I believe in what we read and I believe in the supernatural world and I believe in demons. I believe that you have an enemy and ultimately I believe it because Jesus believes it. 
Look what Jesus would say in Luke chapter 10 when he was sending out the 72 and the 72 were learning what ministry is like. Some of, some of you are learning what ministry is like. It says this in Luke 10, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. I love this. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Isn't this where churches get weird? I mean, let's be honest. So now for the first time in the history of our church, I want to ask our ushers to come forward with the poisonous snakes. As we see today, who has faith, okay? <laughs> another level, another level at Fonner Church today. Jesus is teaching us that there's this world that we need to be very aware of. You know, in science, if, if, you're, if you tilt to that side more than you do faith, um, there was a a period not long ago when people didn't believe a Frenchman named Louis Pasteur and a, and a German scientist, Robert somebody, whose name I can't pronounce, the last part, I got the first part. But uh, these scientists were talking about un, unseen forces that, uh, these viruses that could attack and destroy and people looked at that with suspicion because what? They didn't see it. And Jesus is teaching us about this world about this world that we need to reckon with. Many, 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 many years ago, I say those words repetitiously just to give you an idea, it was a long time ago, I was invited to participate, you ready for this, in an exorcism. Now some of you know me really well, I wanna ask you, did I go? What do you think? Did I participate, I was invited? Did I attend? Did I? What's your guess? Yes. Yeah. There were um, no low frequency voices, no physical phenomenon, no rotating heads 360 degrees. It was simply a missionary man who returned from the field who knew that his life emotionally, mentally, relationally had taken a decidedly bad turn. And he sensed within him that it was more than just something else, that it was more than just what he was thinking of, that there was something else to it. And that night I went, and let me be honest, I went, but I was also curious. What was gonna happen, and were these a group of people that I would still wanna be friends with? So I went because I cared, and I went because I was curious. And that night we read scripture together. We prayed. We prayed that Jesus would help him overcome whatever opposition, whatever oppression that was in his life. No physical phenomenon. Just a simple desire on the part of some good friends to see God do a deep work. And can I say to you, I, I've said this before when it comes to miracles and healing, I'll say it in the same subject today. I don't wanna hold our church back from anything that God has for us. And I believe that your battles and mine I believe there are physical, physiological, biological reasons and occurrences, but I believe at the core of all of it, it's spiritual. It's reflected through the stress, it's reflected in our depression, our sadness, our melancholy, 
It's, it's reflected in our circumstances and what's happening, but I believe there's something deeper and I wanna be involved in whatever God, whatever work God has in us. The Bible gives us an invitation or it gives us an, an inside look at the beginnings of the origins of evil. Isaiah chapter 14, which describes the one who fell, the one whose pride knocked him off the throne. Count, as I read this, I'm gonna read it loud, out loud, you read it with me. Count how many times you see the two words, I will. You said in your heart, this is Lucifer, this is Satan, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. That was the chief mountain of the Canaanites. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. How many times? You never want to guess wrong in church. Five, right? Five times these two words, I will. I will, I will. It's the heart of your rebellion and mine. Later, after Jesus came, he died for our sins, he was buried, he rose again, he ascended to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit, the church was flourishing, but they were also going through persecution. They were learning about church growth, they were learning about leadership, they were learning about conflict and division and what really matters. And in this, Peter said, in 1 Peter 5, 8, that we ought to be Sober-minded, we ought to be alert. Why? Some of you know this because the devil, like what? Like a roaring lion, seeks whom he may devour. Peter puts Satan in the cat family. You guys have cats? They're demons. <laughs> you heard it here from the word of God. Be sober be alert. You know, God wants us in that vein of being alert and being sober. He wants us to realize that there is evil. In fact, in the scripture, it's really the hallmark passage on spiritual warfare. It's found in Ephesians chapter six. And Paul says that there's evil, quote, evil in the heavenly realms. He'll go on to say that we need therefore to have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, and the shield of faith. Because there's evil, he says, in the heavenly realm. It's the principalities and powers above us that are operating that we do not see. We need to be sober about this. We need to be alert. Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, which many of you can quote by heart, he, in part of that prayer, he says, deliver us from evil. And the word there, one scholar that I read a couple of days ago, the, the word there that Jesus uses, that deliver word, is almost a violent verb. It, it suggests a, a snatching. When someone is in considerable danger, there's the long arm of mercy that snatches. And the idea that Jesus wants us to learn in this prayer that we pray often, that he taught us as a model prayer, is that we would be aware that there is an enemy that's trying to lure us into the snares, into the pits of destruction, and that we need the only help. Human willpower will not do it. How many of you are trying to live the Christian life by human willpower? How's that working for you, right? Jesus is saying, deliver us from evil, but he's the one who will deliver us from evil. Unless God sees, unless God knows, unless God snatches and saves, you and I, we won't be delivered from evil. 
the most famous psalm probably of all, the 23rd psalm, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I will, I will fear no evil. I love, I love what the psalmist is teaching us. He's not denying evil. He's not minimizing its existence. He's not explaining it away. He is simply saying, I will fear no evil. He's also given us something that we need to gird ourselves with the belt of truth. He's saying that the path of righteousness oftentimes will go through the valley of the shadow. Did you hear that? The path of righteousness many, many times will go through the valley of the shadow. Can I say to some of you this morning, Jesus has never lied to you. He's never lied to you about pain and hurt and trouble in this world. He wants you to be aware that there is or are opposing forces. There is an enemy. And one of the chief things he does is lie. And he is lying to you. Deliver us from evil. There's evil in the heavenly realms. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. What do you think the fear factor was? in this account that we read in Mark chapter five. It it says they were very much afraid. Would you be? When I went to that exorcism years ago, I thought, you know, I got one foot just pointed toward the door, right? I didn't know exactly what I mean. I was in, I was praying. It all seemed normal, like good Christian fellowship, praying for a brother, but I was ready, right? Had that open stance. I was ready to go this way. Are we afraid of evil? Evil is real, isn't it? Do you believe that? Nod your head, help the preacher out a little bit. You might get out early. Just, do you, do you believe that evil, that, yeah, that evil, man, that would, revival just broke out. See, if you give me response, it'll go a lot quicker. But evil exists. And you look in places like the Sudan, you consider the Taliban, you consider child pornography and the sex slave industry. How do these things gain traction? And if you didn't know it this week, because there was an NFL draft with a little bit of scandal and a lot of attention, but if you didn't notice it this week, I I heard words in the media, that the words I never thought I would hear in the same sentence, speaker of the house, serial child molester. Do you guys know politics well enough to know that the speaker of the house is second in line? Am I right about that? It's easy for us to think that evil is out there. Scripture teaches us that it's in here. And I don't know why it takes us so long into adulthood. Some of us never get it, but we do this all good, all bad thing. I mean, that's cool when you're a little boy playing cowboys and Indians or cops and robbers or something like that, right? But it's not good to become an adult. And I think what the sum of Scripture teaches, we need to be alert to this idea that even with evil people, there's probably pockets of good. And with really good people, there are pockets of evil. In Jesus' fact, he tells his disciples, we look past it, I preached it before, but the very first part of Mark chapter five and verse one says, let's go to the other side. And if you learn the history and the culture and the context of that, that was a big statement. That, was my, that might've been more scary than the demons because the other side was a tough side. And you know what? I believe that's what Jesus calls the church to do. Let's go to the other side. Let's go where people say we shouldn't go. Let's love the unlovely. Let's get out of the the comfort zones that we create for ourselves. Let's go to the other side. There's evil in our world. I was reading about this. I tried to get out of the faith spectrum. I read from a Yale historian just a day or two ago, and he was saying that 
the, that history is littered with powerful men and women whose infliction of destruction can only be explained with two words, insanity and diabolicalness. How insightful. I mean, if it's a Yale historian, you kind of need to go with that, right? But how insightful. But all of life cannot be explained to insanity. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Can you agree with me this morning? Do you, do you see what I see when you look at the world? Not everything can be explained because of human dysfunction or bad parenting. And there's evil in this world and Jesus gives it a name. And he wants us to be aware. So put aside the notion of the guy with the red suit and the pitchfork. It's funny in movies and TV, but it hurts us as we seek to understand, as we seek to be sound spiritually, to live in the world that we're living in. Psychology Today says there's a growing awareness and interest in the supernatural. We found ourselves watching a show on the E! Network the other night, just a snippet of Hollywood celebrities going to see a medium. We watched some of these people tear up and just a yearning to know more that can't be explained scientifically and rationally. Scripture says a lot about the enemy. In John chapter 8, it says he's the father of lies. It says that he's the father of hatred in 1 John 3, chapter 10. He's known as the accuser in Revelation 12, as the dragon in Revelation 12, as the serpent in Revelation chapter 20. He's known as the prince of this world in John 14, 30. He's disguised as an angel of light in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. John 10 tells us that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. First, or 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says that he blinds us. Ephesians 2 says that he binds us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 says that he attempts to make us stumble in our faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says he tempts the saints with illicit sex. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6 says he pushes the Christian leader to grow proud and then stumble and fall. In 2 Corinthians chapter two, it says that he allows pride to grow up in our heart and we let unresolved anger, the enemy helps us cause unresolved anger to grow into bitterness. In Romans chapter 16, he says, Paul says that the enemy in many ways is a source of division and destruction among the churches. When you hear some of it itemized like that, can I just ask you today, do you think he's winning? Do you think there's some pockets of victory that the enemy might have in our lives? I think there are two common errors that we make. I'm borrowing from the writings of C.S. Lewis, putting it in my own words now, and screw tape letters, a couple of references here if you're learned and you've read that. But in C.S. Lewis says that a couple of mistakes that we make are on opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to the enemy, when it comes to Satan and to demons. And the first is that we deny. Doesn't exist. It won't affect me. He's working. In Luke chapter 
22, Jesus looks at Peter. It was about to happen. It was about to go down. He was about to be betrayed, accused, arrested, beaten, killed. And he was looking at Peter and he was saying in Luke 22, please read it later. He was just saying, man, I'm about to have a really bad, bad day. And you know what, Peter? You are too. He called him Simon, but he changed his name to Peter, but then he calls him Simon there because he knows he's gonna revert. And he says, Simon, Satan, he wants to have you. He wants to sift you like wheat. But I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you will return. And when you return, you'll tell the brothers. Luke 22, 31 to 33. Read that whole story later. Do you see the danger of denying this spiritual reality? Dads, how about your kids? Are you a dad? Do you think the enemy wants to have them? Are you involved? He's winning without us stepping up. Can I just say, dads, we become more and more and more important as kids get bigger. And they want you to, like that commercial, they want you to drop them off at the curb so that your, their friends won't see them with you. But they need you. And even when they're stiff-arming you, they need the presence of dad in their lives. Dad, step up, because the enemy would want to sift those kids. God hates divorce. The enemy loves it. And I probably have never had a week or two like the last seven to 14 days with friends, with maybe some of you. And you've given the enemy, you've given him a foothold. If you're not careful, he's gonna take a stronghold in your life and it'll be too late. The enemy wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to have you. He wants to have your relationships. He wants to take your marriage. He does. Don't deny it. Don't deny it. How about the area of debt? Why our church is full of people and about 20% of the folks give and the other 80% don't? Is it because those people, those other 80% are just mean and greedy? That could be the case, but it's largely fear. Most people don't give not because of greed, but because of fear. And a lot of people don't give because of debt. And that passage that gets at the heartbeat of sin, Isaiah 14, the fall of the enemy. I will, I will, I will, I will. And for some of you, you've given the enemy a foothold and maybe a stronghold in your life financially and there's no freedom in that. And the enemy has blinded you and he has bound you. We cannot afford to deny. On the other end of the spectrum, there's an overemphasis, okay? Not too long ago, a woman, I don't know her well. She's attended here loosely, I think, but she wanted to have, wanted to schedule an appointment with me and she met with me. And it just started bad, ended bad. I tried my best, you know, but she was like cutting some serpents and scorpions and construction paper and talking about the enemy and talking about uh, what we can't let in our church, what I can't let in my life. And she wanted me to rip the head off the scorpion and pray some prayer and everything. And listen, we can really put an overemphasis on this. I don't want us to be a demon behind every bush. I want us to be sober-minded. I want us to be clear-minded. I want us to be alert and understand that we do have an enemy that's like a lion and he's on the prowl seeking whom he may devour. 
But there can be a dangerous overemphasis on this. College students, you ever had a friend say, man, I just, I failed, I flunked the test, the demons got me, right? No, you just, dude, you just didn't study. There's a lady that came to see me not too long ago. Um, she just said, hey, you know, the car wouldn't start. She's had trouble with her car. She said, you know, Satan, Satan didn't want me to come. Satan wouldn't let the car start. And I thought, mm, or it could be the alternator, right? <laughs> Paul. Paul would travel. Some of you may know this. Paul would travel with a doctor. He called him his beloved physician. Shout out to all the docs in the room. He, he traveled with the beloved physician, his guy, Luke. Paul was so, uh, so taken, so appreciative of this doctor that traveled with him that Paul, uh, a few times in the New Testament, he dispensed medical advice himself, kind of like you when you go to WebMD, right? Suddenly you know it all. So Paul's not a doctor, but he's got Luke and he's given, he's given people medical advice. As far as I know, it's good. God inspired medical advice. You know, when you get sick, you know what you need? You need a doctor. And James would say that if you sense that it could be something else, call the elders of the church to be prayed for. In 1 Corinthians chapter one, Paul sees the church and they were being divided. They had divisiveness there. They had people saying this and people saying that and the enemy was at work, but you know what he did? He did not rebuke the spirit of disunity. He asked them to pursue unity of mind and charity with one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter five, a real um, a troubling sexual sin took root in the church and there was immorality among a leader. And he didn't, there's no evidence of him binding Satan or rebuking this spirit of immorality, of incest out of the church. But he did call for the church leaders to lovingly discipline so that this person would repent and the message and the beauty and the unity of the church would be known. In Ephesians, that verse, that, that book, that letter that has the hallmark spiritual warfare passage on it, Paul gives three model prayers, one in chapter one of Ephesians, one in chapter three of Ephesians, and one in chapter six of Ephesians. And these beautiful prayers have no mention of binding Satan, rebuking the demons, but he says, gird up. You see, there's a far greater emphasis. Now, in Hollywood, it's different. When you go see movies, when, I, when we see a movie together, we, we are, uh, whether we're together or not, I don't guess I go, I don't go, all, don't go to movies with all of you, but when we see movies, we what? We see that there's good and evil. It's not a good movie if there isn't good and evil. But most of the movies that we see, they get equal play. And even though Satan and the demons and evil is mentioned many, many times to about every mention of the enemy, there's more than a dozen mentions of Jesus, God, and the gospel. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith. Rejoice, Jesus says, not that you can do any of these things. Don't rejoice in signs and miracles and wonders. Rejoice, that, rejoice in whose you are, which takes us back to Mark chapter five. Jesus asked this question, what is your name? If you study it later, you'll probably see different Bible scholars have different conjecturing points on this passage. Was Jesus talking to the legion of demons? Was he talking directly to the man? But why did he ask this question, what is your name? You see, someone's name, it cuts at the heart of identity and control. Who's in control? What identity do you have? 
I pray. I pray that we as a church, I pray that you, as you walk in this world, that you would not fall to either extreme, that you wouldn't deny the existence of evil and having a very real enemy, and on the other, there wouldn't be an unhealthy obsession with it. Because Jesus desires that we really, really, really rejoice in whose we are and that we are his. Pray with me.